So we're uh, into our winter retreat now for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's a Saturday night, one pra, uh, double header here, uh, two for one. Actually, it's more like a one for two. <laughs> you only get one talk. But um, rainy night uh, after a rainy several weeks, coming together to be with each other, uh, some meditation, chanting, and uh, some reflections on Dhamma. As I uh, mentioned uh, at the beginning, when we were dedicating chanting, this is yesterday anyway, was the anniversary of my mother's death six, six years ago. And I spent a little bit of time today actually looking at some photos. We had put together a slideshow, my brother and my sister and I and uh, various family members, uh, nephews and nephews' partners, uh, put together a, a slideshow uh, at that time, during the memorial service six years ago, and I was looking at that, some of the photos of her life, brief, uh, a brief synopsis of her life in photos, and was once again uh, struck again, uh, struck once again at the the variety of images and perceptions and people that constitute what it is that I call my mother. And all the way from some photos of her as a young girl and um, growing up into young adulthood, photos of her on the beach, in her, probably in her 20s or so, she had dark brown hair, and she uh, actually, by conventional means, was a, a fairly attractive young woman, and big white teeth, and they used a lot of lipstick then, so she had big red lips. <laughs> but, uh, you know, seeing those photos, and then uh, as she uh, met my father, and there were some wedding photos and photos of the two of them together in their early years. And then moving on to uh, when she started to have kids with my uh, baby pictures with my brother, her feeding him and looking a little bit older herself, probably a bit tired, but lovingly uh, feeding my brother when he was a baby. And, uh, and then photos of the three of us, my brother, my sister, and in my, in myself, I was the last to come along, and photos of the three of us together as, as very young kids uh, with her. She was getting into her 30s. And then as she got a bit older into her middle years and her later years, uh, and photos of family together with her, her grandchildren, and. Uh, and you know, some more of myself as a in my 30s or so, and then uh, on to uh, aging, 
her final years and uh, sickness uh, and and her and finally uh, a number of photos of uh, her after she passed away in in her bed in the nursing home where she spent the last six weeks of her life and just contemplating who was she who was this woman whose name Glendamaria, I was named after her, which caused a lot of confusion for a lot of people <laughs> when I was helping, helping her out or, you know, with her uh, medicines over the online pharmacy and various things that I was doing for her when I would call and say, yes, I'm calling for Glendamaria. And they'd say, okay, well, what's your name? And I'd say, Glendamaria. And they'd say, no, and what's your name? <laughs> I'd say, oh, I was named after my mother. People were sort of puzzled about that, except for one guy who said, oh, that is so cool, named after your mother. But anyway, uh, a little side there. Just um, thinking back over all of those things and, and contemplating who, who was this person you know, that we label as Glenn Demaria. You know, she's that young girl on the on the horse, or the woman on the beach, or the uh, young mother with three children in tow, or on through. You know, the older woman in the wheelchair in her final days, uh, and then the corpse, lifeless corpse, in bed. And just realizing that we live in our world of perceptions, of labels, of constructions, of supposed realities, and the people that inhabit them uh, are the same, in a sense, in terms of the realms of experience, anyway, the realms of our own experience. Uh, we live through our perceptions. We create our perceptions of the world around us, and we inhabit them. And we take them all so solid, so real. But now that an entire lifetime of somebody is a, is a memory. And we can think about that for ourselves as well. I think about that for myself. You know, who am I? Who was I, you know? Looking at some of those photos, there was a young kid, maybe three or four years old, with a completely different body than this one, blonde, straight hair, <laughs> that uh, got bigger and bigger through the pictures, and got curly hair and a bushy beard, and, and uh, then kind of morphed into uh, you know, middle age and some photos with my mom uh, in her last few weeks when I was a 61-year-old monk. And it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, who was, who was all that? Who was that? Glenn Thomas Demaria. Where is he now? It's just a memory. You can ask that of yourselves. You know, think back to your early life. 
go through the various stages. You have a completely different body now. Body cells replace themselves more or less every seven years. So you don't even have the same body that you had seven years ago. Who was Lee Mintz? <laughs> I remember a Lee Mintz that had big bushy dark hair and some uh, 15, 20 years younger than he is now. And who was he before that? Or Ty Krug, or Nick Teal, or Josh Dultz, and one of the rest of you sitting here. Who were, where were, who were you? Where were you? I don't even remember Tan Sampano's name. I just remember some Korean monk that showed up at Abayagiri. Where did they go? Just memories. Debbie Stamp, I remember. 30 years ago, at least. <laughs> Where did she go? So these are just questions for reflection, you know, to uh, challenge our assumptions of the world we create around us. How real is it? How solid is it? We in, take it on as so real, so solid. But really, uh, everything before this very moment is just a memory. Everything into the future is just a projection. It's constantly moving, constantly changing, constantly shifting. Why do we take it all so seriously? For my mother, there's uh, no more memories. If her underlying tendencies got reborn somewhere else, which they probably did, you know, she's, she, in quotes, is continuing another existence some six years later, if she were she got rebirth into the human realm again, then sitting somewhere, sitting somewhere six years old somewhere, probably. She has no memory of Glendamaria. So we look at the quality of our life and how that's shaped by our perceptions too. And um, a lot of the Buddhist teachings are instructing us to take a look at our perceptual world, the reality that we've assumed into existence. And what's the quality of it? Um, and really to, to encourage us to stop uh, identifying uh, with all of these constructs uh, to let the sense of ownership in me and identification fade away. Because when we take on those structures as who we are or who they are or concretize our reality, 
that's the basis for suffering. And all the Buddha's teachings point towards how do we recognize this process of dukkha arising and how do we how can we reshape our perceptions in a sense in such a way that we can uh, start to experience a relaxation of that dukkha of that that grasping that grip uh, of the cycles of suffering that we keep on engaging in based a whole lot on mistaken perceptions. Perceptions are based on memory, sanya, perception, um, the aggregate, sanya, something that uh, we can strongly identify with. But what is that? Uh, perception is one of the translations. Um, recognition, I think, is maybe even a better one in some ways in that uh, all of our perceptions, the ways that we actually experience the world, uh, are through filters, um, recognition. We, filters that go back to identifying some related experience or some, um, something that's happened in the past that we can put some sort of handle on uh, and label and categorization uh, to help create you know, a sense of continuity in our reality. We need perceptions to, we need sanya to navigate through the world and not go insane with just lots of stimulation. So we assign meaning to these, um, these memories uh, and these uh, experiences. Uh, felt meaning is another translation that I think Ajahn Suchito likes to use, felt meaning, but recognition is, it's cognizing, it's a cognizing process, but it's recognizing uh, based on memories, and that helps us to create categories of that person or uh, you know, this situation or this structure that I'm living in. So that's kind of what we do to, to get through life without kind of cracking up. But the way we do it is up to us. Uh, and so many times we create perceptual patterns that just result in suffering. So one of the teachings, as I was saying, one of the teachings that the Buddha gives us is how to work with perceptions to reconstruct them in ways that are more suitable for living a a happy life, for living a contented life, for letting go of, of dukkha. One of the, the, the retreat themes that we're doing for our readings, we're going through the fourth Satipatthana, and we've started the section on the five hindrances with a number of readings over the past uh, few days, discussing what the five hindrances are and, and how uh, we can work with them in both our meditation and, and just in our lives. And you can see how um, these are patterns, these five hindrances of, of um, sensual desire, ill will, uh, dullness and drowsiness, agitation, restlessness, and doubt, uh, you can see how they are uh, kind of embedded habits that 
rise up uh, when we're in contact with the world in various different ways. <clears throat> and how these are unpleasant kinds of uh, ways of operating in the world when we op operate through craving or aversion or confusion, you know, the root causes of, of these five hindrances, uh, how they lead to the experience of dukkha. They're unsatisfactory, they're unpleasant. Uh, and the, the wish is to kind of be free from them and how we respond and experience the world and respond to those, the presence of those five hindrances, the perception of, of these qualities, these patterns. That's another word for perception is patterns. Um, kind of drives our, our whole life. And we can choose to change that. The Buddha says that we can, through appropriate attention, uh, we can uh, change our perceptual patterns so that we don't experience the world in the same way. Uh, for instance, we don't have to experience the world through the five hindrances. We don't have to go seeking uh, sensual pleasure just to have a moment of peace. Um, sense desire is one of them. Uh, is that first um, hindrance and, and we kind of think that going for sensual pleasure is something that's enjoyable and, and to a certain extent it is but the actual experience of sensual desire I find quite unpleasant it, there's an agitating quality to it to, to wanting something it's, when you compare it to a, a peaceful contented mind uh, the arising of sensual desire, even if it gets something in the sensual realm that's quote-unquote pleasant, uh, the actual goal is to get rid of the unpleasant feeling of wanting. And then we do get some pleasure, and it goes away very quickly. So all in all, the pursuit of, of sensual pleasure through, because of sensual desire is, is not actually very uh, gratifying in the long term. And it's obvious, I think, that the dukkha that comes with aversion uh, or the dukkha that comes with just dullness, drowsiness, and restlessness, the uncomfortableness of those qualities of mind, and the agitation and confusion and wavering of doubt, these are unpleasant experiences. And they're unpleasant ways of perceiving the world, of living in the world. Uh, but they're kind of default patterns that we've learned through habit uh, over you know, many years in our lives or many lifetimes. And we can, we can start to undo them and reconstruct them, reconstructing our perceptual patterns. And if we can do that, <clears throat> we also become a whole lot more pleasant to be around, you know, imagining what it's, we all know what it's like to be around somebody who's consumed with craving or consumed with aversion or uh, is, uh, you know, just agitated, restless, doubtful, low energy. 
those are, are draining pe people exhibiting those or when we're around people who are experiencing those uh, and displaying those, it's, it's, it's hard to be around, just as it's hard to be around ourselves when we're experiencing them. <clears throat> so it's a gift to the world as well as a gift to ourselves if we can help reconstruct some of these patterns. And we've talked a lot about the need to, to recognize them first uh, as they arise in our, our practice and in our lives. Because uh, we can't just pretend they're not there or just try and paint over them or, or try and nullify them or uh, annihilate them. It doesn't work. We have to first experience them. That's the, the training in the fourth Satipatthana is to experience, uh, uh, know when they're present. Uh, and know in a very deep sense, not just you know, be aware of them and then try and get rid of them, trying to annihilate them, but to know them directly, not to know them conceptually, uh, at least not to stop there, but to, to allow oneself uh, a direct experience uh, of the hindrance. Uh, how does it feel in the body? How does it manifest in uh, the mind? the heart, uh, what are the qualities of it? Uh, is it? Is it sukha or is it dukkha? Is it pleasant or is it unpleasant? Does it arise to suffering? Does it cause arising, the arising of suffering? So to know that, that's knowing the first noble truth. We have to know and understand uh, the actual presence of, of dukkha. And after we've seen and, and validated that experience, whatever hindrance it is that might be popping up, um, then we can start to uh, look at how we want to be with that, uh, to understand it, uh, and in some cases to offer up an antidote uh, to it, uh, in some cases to reframe it in terms of uh, how it's arising, passing away as some of the readings that we've recently had point to. But if we choose the first option of, of looking at what an alternative is, that's the reframing of our, per, our perceptions. So we can choose to look at uh, an experience in a different way and turn it around through the various techniques, that uh, reflections that we've talked about. And that's considered letting go of inappropriate attention and engaging in appropriate attention, like we've talked about, say, the Asuba Kamatana as an antidote to sensual desire or recollections, developing perceptions of, of goodwill, uh, kindness in, in relation to the hindrance of aversion. So we can recreate our responses to the world around us. And we can suppose into reality um, something that's a whole lot more pleasant to be with. It's still a constructed reality when we do that, when we recreate our perceptions and try and untangle some of the patterns, create more skillful ones. We're still fabricating uh, our reality uh, and 
it's something that we'll still uh, need to let unravel completely uh, in our pursuit of deconstructing our whole you know way of, of, of being in the world to allow something much more sublime and um, insightful and, and penetrating leading to the ending of dukkha but it's something that uh, really helps along the way because that mind that has been reprogrammed uh, repatterned uh, into more pleasant open expansive states of mind is one that can see the Dhamma that much more clearly. So it's a, there's a kind of technique that I've used uh, over the past number of years, a meditation, essentially kind of a guided meditation that I've talked about before, so I'm sorry if this is repetitive to you, you can just listen quietly. <laughs> uh, but uh, a way of uh, bringing up some skillful perceptions of the opposites of these five hindrances and experiencing them just uh, as, a, as a potential, sort of like, what, what would it feel like what would it feel like if I were free from sensual desire? If I didn't want anything. And the recording that I think it was Ajahn Titapanyo played from Ajahn Sona pointed directly at this. I was really enjoying that and excited to hear him talk about it in that way because it's a technique that, a reflection, I guess, that I've used for a while uh, to, um, to good benefit. And that's examining what it feels like when the mind is free from sensual desire. Uh, and one word that comes up is contented. Uh, not wanting. But contentment is, is a lovely word. And what's it like? You've all had, we've all had experiences of, of moments of contentment when we don't want anything, when desire isn't arising. Uh, and we're at peace. The mind isn't surging out towards picking up some sort of sensory experience in the realm of sights or sounds or tastes, tactile sensations, those kinds of things. The mind is at, is at rest and just absolutely happy just with what is happening right now. That's a really nice feeling. Just imagine what that's like, even for a moment. You can imagine that contented. Or what's it like to be free from ill will or aversion? You know, when we have let go of something that we were gnawing on for a long time, some memory of some conversation or some constructed perception of, of a person that's giving us a hard time or who has given us a hard time and kind of realize the dukkha in that and let it go or establish an alternative perception, picking up a, 
an image of, of something that brings a, a sense of kindness or gentleness, whether it can be done with that particular person or not, that's one thing, but can, we can shift our uh, thinking process to an image or a person who brings up a sense of, of kindness, a feeling of, of openness and gentleness, open-heartedness, well-wishing. We can tag it with a, na- a name like metta, loving kindness, or gentle. Just the quality that it evokes inside uh, your experience. What's, what's a good word to describe that sense for yourself? Come up with your own vocabulary word. A surefire one for me, just thinking about my mother again. I was thinking about that earlier today when I was going through some of those photos, particularly the ones uh, in her later years, most of my memories are gelled in towards her later years, uh, was one at the nursing home. A particular event, the image is uh, very much embedded in my mind. She, we never had a super close relationship until the later years of her life when we both mellowed. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, we were sitting in the nursing home and she was kind of in moderate dementia, moderate delirium, uh, and was kind of sitting across a table from me. We had a few other people around, my sister and one of the nurses, and she was kind of out of it. And we were all talking, engaging, and chatter. And uh, uh, we were talking about mom. And, 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 and at one point, I, I was just asking her how, you, how, she, how she was doing, how are you doing, mom? Because um, I wasn't sure whether she was present or not. And, uh, she kind of didn't look very alert, and didn't really engage, and, and uh, caught her eye. And I said, are you following all of this? Are you following any of this? And she just looked a little confused. <clears throat> and then I said, do you know who I am? And... She had kind of a momentary look of confusion, but then all of a sudden she pulled into like 100% presence. Her big blue eyes just stared out through her kind of wrinkled face, 92-year-old face, and she penetrated right over to my eyes, and then she just, you know, in this unusual moment of clarity, she just looked at me very directly and said, you are mine. And my heart just melted. It's just so, you know, uh, just so what a mother is supposed to say. <laughs> uh, and so that's a, it's a lasting memory. Uh, and if I need a moment of, if I'm in a moment of aversion or, you know, going through a, a rough patch or something like that, if I can bring that memory uh, up, it just sort of immediately washes all that away. And then I don't feel aversion anymore. I feel kindness, gentleness. The world has opened up. So we can change our perceptions on the spot sometimes, in a moment, by having a vocabulary word or an image that we can just pull up. We reconstruct our perceptions. That's changing a perceptual pattern. 
by imagining that. What would it be like to be free from ill will? What would it be free like to be from be, to be free from dullness and drowsiness? What's it like to have you know, a fresh, alert mind? So bring that up. Alert, to say the word alert, fresh. Feel the image that that brings up. Cool and spacious. Or if we're feeling agitated, um, what's, the, what's the opposite like? What's it like when you're not agitated? Still, silent, quiet. We've all had moments of peace, even if they've been very fleeting for some. What does the, what's the feeling that stillness brings into your perceptual experience? Or what's it like to be free from doubt? One feels secure. Relief. Grounded. Stable. What does that feel like in the body and in the mind? Saying that word, secure, stable, unwavering. So these are ways that we reconstruct these perceptual patterns, uh, particularly in relation, say, to these five hindrances. Make them a meditation. Make, these, make the opposites of the hindrances a meditation. After we've gone through and maybe identified what the hindrances are that are present and experienced them directly, uh, make a meditation of bringing up perceptions of their opposites. You can just do that as a almost a mantra. Get your words down that work for you and take a few moments uh, after you've started sitting. Take a few moments to say, okay, what's it like to be contented? Contented. Gentle, alert, silent, still, secure. And then watch what happens to the mind space, watch what happens to the heart. Opens, relaxes, settles. And then there's the opportunity to be present with the breathing, just something simple, soothing. If the mind's not agitated from one of the hindrances, but more experiencing these positive qualities, this is the, the happy mind that composes itself easily. Freedom from the hindrances through reestablishing our perceptual patterns. And again, to remind oneself, this isn't who we are, even in the most positive sense. We don't need to take ownership of that and say, oh, finally, I've gotten rid of my self that is, was full of hindrances, and now 
I, I am someone who is uh, full of these other qualities, these positive qualities. We're not trying to, you know, construct an identity around them either, but we're just trying to create, temporarily fabricate skillful states that can lead us to uh, more of a uh, deeper understanding, create the mind space that can then understand uh, the arising, passing uh, of the world around us and how to deconstruct all of our perceptions, all of our patterns. But we have to start somewhere and we have to uh, start by recognizing that which obstructs us, these obstructions, uh, and then how to repattern uh, in a way that opens, relaxes, and makes life enjoyable. We have to enjoy life uh, as we go along. We're still engaged with it, even though we're working towards deconstructing how we actually uh, view the world in, oursel in ourselves, quote-unquote, uh, within it, but uh, we have to have patterns that are pleasant to be with. Uh, and then we can live with ourselves as we go through the process so much more easily and enjoy the process rather than making it a, uh, any kind of uh, drudgery or, or work. And then that's an example for others too. We become a whole lot easier to be around uh, if we can work through our patterns uh, and create skillful ones that displays itself to the world around us. And it demonstrates to other people uh, that it can work, that it can happen, gives other people hope. That's how we naturally want to be is uh, this kind of living in the world with this kind of ease of mind. And, and that's by doing that, uh, that's how we can help people, other people the most. And we can't really help other people fully until we've let go of all of these uh, self, uh, selfing patterns. We've got to get out, get out of the way if we really want to be of service to the world, service to our friends, service to our family. The best work we can do is to learn how to create this sense of contentment and happiness completely in ourselves. And then we can bring that to the world. So that's my aspiration anyway. That's uh, so why it keeps me here uh, after 25 plus years. Still lots of work to do, but uh, Lots of benefits that I've gained along the way. Gives one hope and faith for the, uh, inspired for the future. Keep going. So just a few thoughts on perceptions, five hindrances, and uh, working with them and working to replace them with uh, pleasant, skillful states of mind. So I'll leave it there for tonight's reflection. <laughs>